0: Well, this is your first chance to see me. I'm Jason and uh, I serve as the overseer of the congregation. So I'll give you a couple seconds to let that sink in and look at me. So then once that's over, uh, we can start looking at the scripture and uh, the theme for the morning. So five seconds is up. That's all you get. Well, this past week or a week ago, Uh, I visited James Hess, and uh, many of you, or at least some of you may know that James used to be the lead pastor here uh, back in the 80s, and he was the, um, well, he was the first lead pastor, uh, Mennonite pastor, that uh, I was connected with, because I also didn't grow up Mennonite. My wife and I, Joanne, were living around the corner, and so we came to East Chestnut Street in the 80s well I visited James because as some of you know he's very sick and I went to LGH on the day the day he had decided that he would go off any life support or any treatment at all he wasn't going to do that so I walked in there was nothing hooked up to him and he was just sitting there or laying in the bed with his family and I asked him I said James I said, you realize what this means? I mean, do you think about the consequences or do you think about dying? I mean, because that was a prognosis. They said, well, hey, you know, if you stop this, uh, you know, this is what's going to happen. So I said, do you think about that, James? The consequences and that, you you know, you're going to die. And almost without missing a beat, he looks at me right in the eye and he says, Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. I didn't know what to say. You know, as a pastor, do you go in those rooms and it's like, uh, you know, the anxiety is above the ceiling. You know, what do you do? Give Give me more of that. Give me some more pills or whatever. And I look at him and he says, oh, happy day. And it was compounded by the fact that I myself am a worrier. You'll learn a few things about me in the few minutes that we're together here. I'm a worrier. I'm genetically predisposed to worry. (laughs) So when he said, oh, happy day, that shut me down. I didn't know what to say. But on top of that, I think a lot of Christian talk about the end of life seems to be, oh, maybe a tad inauthentic. Like we try to talk ourselves into belief. Oh boy, I sure hope this Jesus stuff is true. I sure hope so. But I won't tell anybody that. That's internal stuff. But in room 7922 on that Thursday evening, it was either Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember. When I heard James say, oh happy day, I didn't think at all about that I didn't think at all about all that stuff that I'm a worrier or that is this Jesus stuff true I simply was silent and you and I both know that when the spirit works and it gets moving in your life at the most significant times in your spiritual life you don't use words That's what happens. You know, a lot of Christianity is a lot of words and a lot of explaining. Let me explain to you the Trinity in 30 words or less. I can do it. There's so many words in Christianity, but at the significant moments, in the most life-changing moments, words stop. And that's what happened in that room. I was silent. I was silent. Because I saw a collision between theology and experience happening in that room, and I was silent. One more thing about me when experience collides with theology and they don't match, I look at my theology. Ooh. Ooh, I just want you to know that. I change my theology. I look at my theology when experience and theology collide. But this experience with James was one of the most powerful times when experience was congruent with theology and God appeared in that room. And I say all that stuff about James Hess and the past and everything, because basically I watched the Advent sermon for Advent week three in that room for this morning. From an 85-year-old man laying in his bed surrounded by his family. What is the theme? Look at your bulletin. Jesus Christ transforms our sorrow. I mean, what better sermon can you have than somebody who lives it out? Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. And at that moment, I did not care. I didn't care about all the stuff. I didn't care that many people who study the Magnificat, this passage that was just read, think that Mary didn't even write half of it and that this Magnificat was written after Jesus' death. I didn't care about that, that Mary didn't even write the second verse of this. Or that people think that. I didn't care about that. I didn't care that this Christmas story asks me to suspend my logic to enter into it. And I didn't care that at certain points this Christmas story doesn't even make sense. And if you were expecting on Advent 3 for me to come in and explain the virgin birth, forget it. I'm not doing it. Just like I'm not explaining the Trinity in 30 words. I'm not going to do it. It's a process. Remember, my theology is evolving and developing. That's what discipleship is. I'm always in the process of change. So I didn't care about all that. I'll tell you what I cared about. When I read the Magnificat again this year, and let me tell you, as a pastor-type person, and you come through Advent, and you look at the same scriptures again and again, you know, there's a certain part of you that says, oh my, what am I going to do this year? Am I going to talk about the birth story from the perspective of, I don't know, the donkey? You know, you read those stories, you know, yeah, well, I think this is what the donkey was thinking, probably. But the fact is, though, when you look at scripture, you know, if you look at it simply informationally, ooh, you know, with a furrowed brow, what does the Greek say about that one? If you look at it that way, then yeah, it's kind of heavy. But if you look at it and say, where am I and how does this scripture fit and hit where I'm at right now and what squirts out? And I'll tell you what squirts out. That's a theological term, too. (laughs) When I read the Magnificat this year, this is what I cared about. Mercy did not die. That's what I cared about. Jesus Christ came into this world, and my life, as I said, is in the process of changing. It is not a one-and-done kind of thing. When I read the Magnificat, what I cared about because of Jesus, that one thing after another is removed from my sight and God's way. It's another way of saying valleys rise up, mountains go down, the crooked is made straight, and that's discipleship, and that's what I was thinking about, and that's what I cared about when I read this Magnificat. That's what I cared about. What I care about is that the nearer I get to God, the simpler I become. Stuff gets pulled out of my line of sight between God's vision and my vision. And that makes following Jesus a little more exciting than, I got it done. The ducks are in a row. Finally. And I'm only 35. That's not the way it works the nearer I get to God, the simpler I become. There's this guy, Meister Eckhart, who says that the spiritual life is one of subtraction, not addition. I like that a lot. Unfortunately, Meister Eckhart was declared a heretic by the Catholic Church. I just learned that this week. You know, should I take this out of the sermon or not? He's a heretic. (laughs) But, you know, when you study that stuff, what you get declared as a heretic is, you know, I don't know. You're bald. You're a heretic. So I left it in because I like it because that's been my experience that the spiritual life is one of subtraction, not addition. Again, it goes against that informational way of reading the scripture. I know everything in the scripture. I know every truth. But for me, what I saw last week, last Thursday, in that simple phrase from the former pastor of East Chestnut Street, oh, happy day, pulled it all together, transforming our sorrow. It happens, and it can happen from an 85-year-old person. And, you know, all of you are at different stages of life. Oh, happy day. what he said. And so this morning, though, there's a shift in tone in the scriptures. The theme of rejoicing, and let me use that theologically difficult word again, the theme of rejoicing squirts out, squirts out of these scriptures. For some of you, you you may have come on Advent three and thought, finally, we get to sing some of the Christmas songs. You gotta wait another week, it looks like. <laughs> Great songs, Barb, wonderful. <laughs> but you know, I was kinda of floating around with some of the couple of them. <laughs> you gotta wait another week You're going to have a busy next Sunday with all the joy to the world. Yeah. You and I have walked through Advent, the watchfulness theme of Advent one watch and be ready. Advent two, you were reminded of looking inward at repentance and now we move to rejoicing now let me tell you that sounds great you know that's that's usually where you start with christmas you know rejoice yeah happy but this is a very delicate move for a pastor so we're going to go through it's like it's like you know you ever been to a movie theater uh during the day of course none of you have (laughs) i understand that but try and enter into this with me You go to the Penn Cinema during the day and then you're watching a movie, you know, G-rated, and then you come out into the light and your pupils are doing, that, that's what it's like when you move too quickly, too quickly from watchfulness, repentance, rejoice. So you've got to do it balanced. So how do you do that balance, transforming our sorrow because Christ is in the world? I mean, if you go too fast, you end up turning it into like an American music theater production with shows at 3 and 7.30. (laughs) Or, or... You can recite a litany of ills that God still needs to transform. You know, all this rejoicing is great, but did you read the paper today? <sighs> yes, I read the paper today. Yes, we are going to be in the Afghan theater longer than we expected. The movie is going to go longer in Afgan- Afghanistan. So you've got to find that balance between uh, and the AMT, AMT production. But let me just say this. There is a time to take a break. There is a time to acknowledge that yes, 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 this world is groaning. And yes, violence is our God. Yes, that's all true. And yes, We are horrible stewards of the earth in the name of money. Yes, yes, and double yes. And each one of us has any number of our own pet peeves of injustice that gets to us. I got mine. I got a hot one right now. I'm not going to tell you because then you'll tune out in case it hits one of your hot buttons. You can't do that when you're preaching, you can't hit the hot buttons because people will tune out my own personal agenda. But after the service, if you want to know, I'll tell you (laughs) what it is. But all those things that are in your mind, all those things in this world that go contrary to this wonderful message and vision of scripture, it's all there and it's all true but sometimes it's okay to take a break, just a little slot in the middle of Advent. And this morning is that slot. I want to tune our ear to hear the merciful melody. I want to simply say, mercy didn't die. So as you've already gathered, this is, this is not a three-point learning sermon. So for those of you who are disappointed, I'll give you another five seconds to rest in that. Because every once in a while, we need a sermon that tickles our hearts and coaxes hope out of hiding. Every once in a while we need that. Just, I don't know, twice a year. Maybe once a year at East Chestnut Street. I don't know you well enough yet. And this is that morning this is that time in the midst of any ill or any downer or any situation you want to throw at me this morning I come back with seven words mercy did not die Oh happy day I mean just think of it if you go back in the biblical story God was so mad at the violence that the, the people he had created, that God had created. He was so mad at the violence, he said, I'm going to kill them all off. But he had one man build one boat. Mercy did not die. When the Israelites heard the hoofbeats of the Egyptians coming here, and they had the Red Sea over here, and they were stuck in the middle, and the Red Sea parted, and the Israelites went through. Mercy did not die. This is all part of the Christmas story. When Joseph was unjustly sitting in prison, the king asked for his opinion on something, and he got out of prison and ended up saving the Israelites because mercy did not die. When Jeremiah the prophet, the truth-teller, was stuck in a dry well waiting to die. Somebody noticed him. Mercy did not die. This is all part of what brings us to this rejoicing. And then when Mary, when Mary hears this preposterous news that she's going to have a baby or she will be shadowed by the Holy Spirit, She says, God's mercy extends to those who fear Him. Mercy didn't die. And when you think of it, just just think of it with me. The legacy continued. What we shape in our children bears fruit. The legacy continued. If you jump past the Christmas story, when Jesus was an adult and He began sharing His stories about what He was about, What did he talk about? He talked about mercy. I don't know what percent of his stories were about mercy, but it was the majority of his stories were about mercy. Most of his stories didn't end with a finger pointing like that. Most of his stories ended with other people pointing their finger at him. He got people mad because mercy gets people mad. Who is my neighbor? The one who showed mercy, I guess. We'll go do it. There's a group that was worried about what people would think if they followed Jesus' example through trial and error. That's the only way you can learn about Jesus. It's through trial and error. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You can't just stay in the same place and be transformed. And Jesus said to those people, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Even in the life of Jesus, mercy did not die and people got mad at him. I love this quote that from one of Richard Rohr's latest books called Upward Spirituality. It's about a mature faith for the second half of life. And in it, he says that spiritual maturity, and I'll quote this word, he used the word always, always more inclusive. And mercy is inclusive. That's what it is. That's what got people mad. We don't pick and choose. We don't pick and choose who sits next to us in God's kingdom. All who are moving to Jesus have a place. That's the message of Scripture. And when Jesus came into this world, mercy didn't die. And then in the story in Scripture that says Herod went out trying to kill Jesus before he could walk... His family listened and trusted their intuition and relocated. Mercy did not die. So nestled in the Magnificat is this message that many of us here that has drawn us into this building are building our lives on, shapes our daily choices, that Jesus came into the world and mercy didn't die. Now, that's all hopefully encouraging. Hopefully, it may even touch a little enthusiasm in you that this Jesus message is important to me and I continue to follow it. But just in case you're getting too excited, I want to bring it back down into the Anabaptist fold. I want to temper it a little bit. Yeah, but uh, you know that emotion's a little bit out of the scale there, bud. Just in case that's happening, I will share a caveat and a caution to temper any of this undue, over the top enthusiasm that might that might be bubbling out of you. Here's the caveat it is important not to mistake mercy for a charmed life and that God owes us pie in the sky that's that's important and the other lectionary scripture that we didn't have time to read is from Psalm 126 and there's this curious phrase in Psalm 126 that says those who go out weeping carrying the seed to sow will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them my only association with that verse up until this week was with western movies it is the only song in my generation that was ever sung in church in a western movie Bringing in the sheaves. And it was sung so boringly and dead. Like, who would ever want to be in that place? So I'm glad I have a new image to replace that with. Because this going out, weeping, weeping, and sowing... and and reaping what you sow, I have a new image now. Because that scripture is actually referring to a Middle Eastern custom called keening. K-E-E-N-I-N-G. And it's the belief that if you actually shed tears and cried while you were planting the seed, you'd have a more productive yield. Man, that's a perfect image for somebody who thinks... In metaphors, joy somehow trickles through sorrow. Jesus Christ transforms our sorrow. You can't be any more perfect than that. The thing that as you cry, as you suffer, out of that yield will come something unexpected. It is the joyful paradox, and you and I both know it. That anything significant, any spiritual thing in our lives often is preceded by something that knocks us off balance. Whether you call it suffering, whether you call it disillusionment, whether you call it doubt, whatever it is. It is that odd phenomenon that joy can trickle out when we squeeze our suffering. That's what that verse is trying to say. We don't invite suffering. You've heard that a billion times. But we can't escape it. When it comes, there can be transformation even in this. Because mercy did not die, it is alive. It is alive in Jesus. That's the caveat. Mercy does not not let you live in a life of marshmallow pillows and clouds. Now, the caution. I've got to give you the caution. I beg of you, do not share the Magnificat with anyone. Do not share it with anyone because it is subversive. Please do not trust in its truth. It will change things. Change is hard. We all know that. So don't change. And don't share it with anyone because it may even force you to infuse some hope into sorrow. And above all, do not share this with Occupy Lancaster. It will provide a platform for them. And real change will occur. So please, hold it tight. Hold it tight. Because if you let this message out, what's going to happen is that the Spirit of the Lord is going to bust in upon you. And... You're going to share the good news in an invitational way. And the broken pots of our lives are going, to fly, are going to find glue sticks. And things that you can't release, you will let go. Yeah, they'll have scratch marks on them, but you'll let them go. And people who can't see in the dark will be given flashlights. Please don't do it because justice will have a quality of joy in it and you might even experience what it feels like when God says, your soul can rejoice in the Lord, just as Mary said. And finally, righteousness and praise will intermingle and God's way will be seen even in between the cracks in the pavement out in front of this church when you see that dandelion shoot up or when you were walking around yesterday and you said my goodness it's 35 degrees out and there's still a flower there i saw it so please all that's going to happen now let me just tell you that's my translation of isaiah 61 and in case you haven't noticed I did not refer to a single Greek or Hebrew resource on that. All I'm saying this morning is every once in a while it is a good thing to go off the three-point sermon grid. Jesus came into this world and mercy became flesh. Our sorrow on earth can be transformed mercy did not die oh happy day oh happy day let's pray Lord God on this church I just ask your blessing where there is sorrow Lord God bring your power where there is anxiety Bring your peace. Where there is busyness, bring your comfort. Lord God, I thank you that you have come to this earth, whether we understand and can explain how it has affected us. And I pray, Lord God. And I thank you that someday, even through some of our actions, humility will become bold. And your power will be seen in our little efforts. God is here. God is with us. In Jesus' name, amen.